0: I wanted to get people off the bus. So I wanted to actually introduce some authenticity into the experience and I wanted people to have cross-cultural exchanges and I also wanted to have them have an opportunity to give back.
1: Talking with people about how to have a great retirement. This is the Rock Your Retirement Show. We don't talk about money, but we talk about almost everything else you need to rock your retirement. Now, here's your host, Kathy Klein. Hi, this is Kathy from the Rock
2: Your Retirement Show, where we talk about retirement lifestyle. And I am so excited today because I have Diane Valenti with me, and she loves travel. Of course, I love travel, so you know I'm going to love Diane. She is especially enthusiastic about philanthropic and sustainable travel. I like to call it sustainable tourism. She is the founder of Llama Expeditions, which gives you private guided trips to South America for the young at heart, looking for a life-changing perspective. Oh, and for her 9-to-5 corporate job, she consults with Fortune 500 companies to design learning experiences that help employees reach their potential at work. Diane, welcome to the show. Thank you, Kathy. Well, I'm so glad that you decided to come on. So tell me... What is it that Llama Expeditions does? Like, how did you get into that? I know that's a lot of questions.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That is a lot of questions. So what would you like me to start with? What does Llama Expeditions do, does, or what what would you like me to start
2: with? Yeah, why don't we go ahead and start with that? But before the end of the interview, I want to find out how you got into it. So maybe we should start with that first.
0: So back in 2008, my dad and I went on a vacation to Peru to see Machu Picchu, which apparently, unbeknownst to me, he had a bucket list and Machu Picchu was on it. And I was going to go and my stepmother said to me, you know, you should take your dad because he has this bucket list item. And I think she was actually just trying to get him out of the house for a while. So we ended up going to Peru. And it was just a remarkable experience. There is something magical about Peru. There is something when you arrive in Cusco, this gateway city to Machu Picchu. It's a little bit like, um, what is it that that story with uh, the Tin Man and the Lion? It's escaping me now. <laughs>
2: right, um, the Wizard of Oz.
0: Thank you. Obviously, you need a little more coffee here. <laughs> anyway, it's very. It's just this really magical experience, and. While I was there, I just thought, wow, you know what? I want to design this kind of experience. It really moved me. And at that time, I was and still am designing learning experiences in the corporate world. And to me, travel was just another way of designing a learning experience. It was on a bigger stage. It could make a bigger difference. Like at work, I'm mostly training people around compliance topics, right? But travel could be something that would really kind of open up their hearts and their worlds in a different way than learning about what they're allowed to do according to the FDA,
2: right? (laughs) Right.
0: I was really taken with the whole idea. And at that point, I had actually met a guy in Peru during this trip with my dad, whoever does that, right? He meets a guy while they're traveling with their father. (laughs) but he was also interested in starting a travel company. So I ended up going back into Peru a few months later, and we started the travel company together. So unfortunately, he and I didn't work out, but I decided to move forward with the travel company anyway. And what I wanted to do is I wanted to get people off the bus. You know, you see those giant tour buses, and 50 people are on those tour buses, and they go through this very... I guess, vanilla experience where it's like, check it off the list. Have we seen Cusco? Yes. Have we gone to the cathedral? Yes. Have we gone to the Inca rooms? Yes. But there's nothing, it's kind of, to me, it's a little cold. The experience is a little cold. So I wanted to actually introduce some authenticity into the experience. And I wanted people to have cross-cultural exchanges because I thought that's the thing that's going to kind of shift their perspective is if they can see another Point of view on the world and how one might go about living in the world. And I also wanted to have them have an opportunity to give back because Peru, like many of the countries that I work in, is a developing nation. And you have all of these super wealthy tourists, you know, in the Peru economy anyway, coming in. And it's almost like they're taking from the experience, but they're not giving anything back. So I wanted to introduce them into projects that were viable projects where they could actually make a difference while they were on vacation so that they could leave their footprints instead of like, you know, leave no trace, leave a trace, but leave the right kind of trace. And so that's kind of how I got into it. It was really a fluke.
2: Wow. Isn't that amazing how your life takes a turn?
0: Yes. <laughs> it is. It was, it was very unexpected. I wasn't really like I didn't go to Peru with that in mind. I went to Peru to hang out with my dad and to see some cool Ingaroons. <laughs>
2: That is awesome.
0: We do many trips, and many of them involve vans um, and trains and canoes and all sorts of things. I think we're more sustainable in terms of the fact that we always try to, like, focus on local, right? So we don't put people in the Marriott in Cusco. We put people in locally owned inns, and we don't eat at, like, the, you know, fancy restaurants that are owned by people from Holland, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> or Germany right. we eat at like the locally owned places. So the whole llama expeditions thing actually came about when we started the company. And llama in the Andean religion actually represents unconditional love. And because it was going to be a philanthropic company, it seemed like that would fit with the theme of the company. And the reason that llamas represent unconditional love in that That religion, the Andean religion, is because back in the time of the Incas, they gave like their backs for transport, their meat for food, their fur for warmth, and they were actually even giving their hearts at that point for sacrifice. They were sacrificing the llamas. And if you go to some of the ancient rooms right outside of Cusco, you will see actually in the rooms, they have like these tables where they did llama sacrifice.
2: Oh, my that goodness. That makes
0: me sad. <laughs> They—that's what, That's what a llama represents. And so that's why the name of the company is Llama Expeditions, because llamas have that connection with unconditional love, and we're a philanthropic organization.
2: I love it. So tell me, what types of volunteer activities do you put together? What types of activities do you put together for your guests?
0: Well, we don't do volunteerism. We do philanthropic tourism, which is a little bit different and a little bit new. I think... There are not so many folks out there that are doing this. Most people are doing some kind of volunteerism, and I think there's a lot of minefields with that. I went to visit a project that we're supporting, and it was a community out in the middle of the Andes somewhere, and we were going there because we were going to support their weaving project, and I wanted to see what they had to offer. And in the middle of the field, there was this wall. And I looked at the person I was with, and I was like, what is that wall doing there? (laughs) going on with that? And she said, oh, that's where we put the tourists when they want to volunteer. We let them paint it.
2: (laughs) And then they unpaint it? What? what?
0: I guess then the next few paints on top. I don't know. I just thought that it was the most bizarre thing. That
2: is (laughs) bizarre. So what, what, (laughs) that is bizarre.
0: (laughs) And that happens a lot in the volunteer world because they don't, it's a lot of work to set things up for people to come in and actually do something that's meaningful it's a lot of work on the end of the local people, and they don't always have the resources to do that extra work and to make it a meaningful thing. So we do philanthropic tourism, which is basically we go and we visit projects and we make a donation. So the company, Lama Expeditions, always makes a donation, and we invite our guests to join in with us to make a donation as well. And what I'll do is I'll reach out to the project before I have guests coming, and I'll say, hey, what do you guys need? And I'll put together a list based on what they tell me, and I'll send it out to the folks that are going with us and say, if you want to bring this stuff, purely voluntary on your part, but if you want to bring it, this is the project we're going to visit, and they would really appreciate it. So I had a group come to Peru, and one of the projects that we visit is a school for impoverished girls. So in Peru, if you are born into a very poor family, if you're a boy, they send you to school. If you're a girl, they send you out for domestic work, and you never are educated, and so you grow up illiterate, and so when you get married and have children, if your husband leaves you, you don't have a really good way of supporting those children, and what you'll see in Cusco is a lot of kids on the street because they come from broken families, the mom can't support them, and so she has this very unsavory option of either starving on the street with them or abandoning her children on the street and actually trying to get a different guy who will support her financially. And this school really gets to the heart of that problem where they take very young girls and they provide them with financial assistance, and they have a school, I think, up through the eighth grade where they provide education for the girls and they help the girls develop self-esteem and they educate the family on the values of girls. And we visit that school as part of our trip to Cusco. And so this particular trip, they asked us to bring various things for Christmas presents. It was like October. So they were starting to collect all of that stuff for December. And so the guests brought all kinds of things for Christmas presents, and then the school would wrap them up. So that's more of the philanthropic. So we're making some sort of a donation to help the school achieve their mission in this case, as opposed to going in and teaching English or scrubbing classrooms or whatever.
2: Does that make sense? It absolutely does, and that is a lot different than what you were you know, the volunteerism, I guess is the name for it. So Yeah,
0: we're not painting any walls.
2: <laughs> yeah. Okay, so that's actually pretty awesome. How do you choose the organizations that are going to get your attention?
0: So it's a little tricky, right? Because there's a lot of fly by night organizations, right, that are just trying to get somebody to come in and donate money. It's really actually going into individuals' pockets as opposed to going for the good of the project. And so I use sites like idealist.org to go through and find projects that are in the local area that we're going to be visiting because I know that, first of all, they're 5013C. And so if my guests want to get some sort of a tax rebate, they get that. But I also know that they're very well run because they're being checked out. So that's basically how I choose them. And then I will actually go out and do a site visit and see them and learn about the project to learn about their mission. And I will choose it based on those two
2: factors. Wow. How many programs do you support currently? Mm,
0: let me think. Probably about five different ones because we work in like different countries as well. So in Ecuador, in that we do the Galapagos, we support a project there that works with kids who are um, physically and mentally disabled because they don't have anything for kids in the Galapagos that offers those services. This is the first project of that sort.
2: You know, my husband and I went to the Galapagos shortly after we got married. And we got married at the same time that you started your program in 2008. Oh my goodness. Yeah. What I noticed about the Galapagos. So first of all, that was definitely a bucket list item. I mean, it was amazing when I was, when I was there. I mean, you had to be careful not to step on all the animals. They are completely unafraid. Mm -hmm. And one time I was, I had my camera out and I was taking a picture of this little bird and it literally. Jumped up to my camera and pecked it. Oh my gosh, it was <laughs> It was amazing. And I almost tripped over a sea lion or a seal or something that was in the road mm-hmm. and I wasn't paying attention. One of the things that I tell people is that if you are going to go to the Galapagos, you need to go while you're physically able. Because it is rugged. You know, it, it's, what was it, a volcano? They're volcanic. Yeah, at- I
0: think they're like Hawaii. I think the islands are made from volcanoes.
2: Right, but I think it's more rugged than Hawaii. I mean, my husband actually mm-hmm. fell into a crevasse <gasps> and injured his leg and and almost needed stitches while oh we my were there. Goodness. But yeah, but you know, you've been there, so mm-hmm. so you know, there's no bathroom facilities, there's no this, no that. I mean, no eating on the yeah. islands. I think that's great that there is an organization for, for um, challenged children. I, di- I didn't even see any children when I was there. Challenged yeah, or otherwise. They're
0: there. <laughs> they are, yeah. but you know, there's just nothing because they're so remote. These services just, they don't exist, right? So you have a child and your child has autism. How do you deal with that as a parent if you're living in the Galapagos? And so this project came in and they're dealing with it. So
2: that's that one island where there's people? Not, mm-hmm. obviously not on the, re, not on the remote. No. Islands.
0: So there's, I think there's a couple of islands that have people. Mm-hmm. So it's one of the islands that has people. It's, um, I want to say it's San Cristobal.
2: Oh, wow. That is, that is really cool that you're supporting that organization. So what other organizations, so you, you have five, one is for the impoverished girls. The other is for the Galapagos, um, children, any, anything else that comes to mind?
0: We did end up working with the weaving community.
2: With what? Um,
0: and the weaving community where they had the wall. We don't paint the wall, but we do <laughs> <laughs> learn how to weave there and make contributions. Um, <laughs> what else? In Bolivia, we work with a group of shoe shine kids. So in the streets of, in La Paz, of Bolivia, if you're very poor and you're a child living on the streets, one of the ways that these kids make money is they shine shoes. And there's a lot of shame around this. Hmm. So much shame that they wear like those ski masks.
2: Over oh, their really? Because they don't James? want
0: people to know who they are. Wow. They don't want, yeah, it's very, it's a big deal. So there is an organization there where they take these kids and they train them to be tour guides and they will show you La Paz, Bolivia from their perspective as opposed to going through, like, the official tour sites, which are a little boring.
2: They're actually giving you real tour information, not like mm-hmm. *Slum slumdog millionaire where they just made things up.
0: <laughs> no, they're giving you real tour. They've actually been trained, and the money from the tour goes directly to the organization and to the kids who are doing the guiding. So it just it's a whole other, like, view of life in La Paz as opposed to going around on the official. This is what I'm saying. I want to get people off the bus. <laughs>
2: That's, that is fan. That's really interesting. Like, I want to do it. So how does somebody get involved? And let's say they're not that physically active. Um, So some of these places might be difficult to get in and out of, right? How, How does somebody get involved?
0: Well, they would actually just take a look at the website the llamaexpeditions.com website and decide which trip they wanted to go on. And then they would reach out to me either by calling or emailing and say, hey, I'm thinking I would like to go to Peru or Bolivia, Galapagos. We also do Chile. And they would reach out to me and we would put together a trip for them. And everything is private, so I'm not doing mixed groups at this point. Everything is like a private trip, so you go by yourself, with your friend, with your husband, with a group. I've had groups of couples go. I've had families
2: go. Okay, great. Well, we are going to find out more about that when we come back from this short break. So we're speaking with Diane Valenti of Llama Expeditions, and we'll be right back.
1: How do you tackle a storage room? My name is Lisa Woodruff, and I am a professional organizer and productivity expert, and today I want to give you three tips on how to tackle your storage room. It's one box at a time, my friends, one box at a time. So here are the best ways to tackle that box. Number one, carry it upstairs, into your kitchen preferably. Put it on a countertop so it's easy to see what's inside the box. Step two, you need to empty it. Take every single thing out of the box and look at it on your kitchen counter or kitchen table. Some will be trash, some will be donatable, and some of the items will go to other family members. Whatever you decide you're going to keep, I want you to put it in a new box with a label. That could be a new cardboard box, but I would prefer you use something that is waterproof, like a clear plastic box with a lid, and label it. If you have items to give other family members, Don't put them back in your storage room. Make sure they go to the family members. One box at a time, you can do this. Check out the Organize 365 podcast for more on how to get organized as you rock your retirement.
2: Welcome back to Rock Your Retirement. We're speaking with Diane Valenti of Lama Expeditions. And before the break, she was telling us how these expeditions work. They're actually not large groups. They're private groups. So, Diane, would you like to tell us more about that? Yeah, so mostly what I'm getting is people who are traveling
0: with friends. I've had families. I've had couples go. And they reach out to me directly. We don't charge anything extra for a private group. It's just it is what it is, like the same as it would be for a mixed group. But it is your own private tour. There's not going to be any stranger on that tour that you don't know. So everyone on the tour that you have to put up with is somebody that you know.
2: Okay. And so when you're going to stay at these local hotels and eating at local places and really sustainable tourism, It must be a lot easier to get around when you've only got a group of probably less than six. Is that correct?
0: I would say um, we've had groups as big as 10. Okay. Um, We've had groups that are six or eight. We've had groups that are one. Like uh, sometimes I'll get um, women are way more adventurous than men, especially later in life, which is kind of funny, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. (laughs) So I get women that are traveling by themselves and they'll just say, hey, I want to go here and I want to go by myself. I want to go on something that's planned. I want to have a guide with me. And so we will arrange for, you know, a person who just wants to go by themselves.
2: Okay. And is it, is it you that's the tour guide or do you find somebody local? How does that work?
0: So I have a team, a local team in each country, and they are my guides there and my operations team there. So I'm not on every tour.
2: Okay, so you're not you're not flying to Peru every every month no.
0: <laughs> conducting tours. <laughs> Travel doesn't pay that well. That's why I still have the consulting job.
2: That's right. That's right. Okay, so you have this. Um, I'm just trying to wrap my arms around this because this is the first time I've really heard about private, basically one-on-one tours. So how much would it cost? for one of your private, sustainable, locally sourced you know, tours versus the big old 30-person tour where you're on the bus? Is there a huge cost difference?
0: It really depends on the size of the group. So I find that we fall somewhere in the middle, right? So between somebody like G-Adventures, which is more of a backpacker tour operator, and somebody like National Geographic, which is really high-end, we're somewhere in the middle of that.
2: Okay, so would you call that mid-range?
0: Yeah, I would say mid-range, right? So, and of course, if you're one person, the tour is going to be more than if you're six people because we basically split tour costs among the number of people there. So for instance, the fee for the guide, if you're one person, you're paying the fee for the guide. Right. If you're six people, you're paying one sixth of the fee for the guide.
2: Right. Of course.
0: Right. So that's basically
2: if you wanted to put a group together of, say, 10 people, mm-hmm. then it it would be shared. And of course, the price of guides in Latin countries is, I'm guessing, a lot less than price of guides in Europe or United States. I
0: would think so, but you know what? I don't really know. I haven't really checked the other markets. Okay. So, and I should say that even if you have like a group of 10, at eight, we add another guide. Because one of the things that makes me absolutely bananas is being in like somewhat of a larger group, like even 12 or 15 people... And always the same three people are standing in front of the guide and hearing the explanation. And always the same three people are standing in the back of the group and hearing nothing.
2: (laughs) Yep, I'm one of the three in the front because I'm short and I'm hard Mm -hmm. of hearing. So I always make my way up to the front because I can't. I can't hear. You know, what's funny is, though, even though I'm short and I always try to be in the front, there's always some tall person that wants to stand directly in front of me. <laughs> I have like, the same issue because I'm also short. And I'm like, <laughs> if I stand in front of you, you can still hear and see. I <laughs> you know mm-hmm. no, they not, never notice. I'm not blocking um, you. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Crazy. But we do add a second guide at eight. So if you have nine people, you'll have two guides in the group. And they kind of split you up so that you don't have to worry about trying to hear. And also sometimes the groups divide into, you know, the speedy people and the slower people.
2: Right.
0: And so then you have a guide that can cater to each group.
2: Oh, that's awesome. And the, that you're going to have the same guide for the entire trip, correct?
0: Not always, right? Because here's the thing, if you have the same guide for the entire trip, the trip costs more money because now we have to pay to transport the guide as well.
2: Oh, okay.
0: Right. So but you will have a guide meeting you at the airport every time you go somewhere.
2: Okay, that's awesome. So how long are most of your trips? Are or-
0: I would say the shortest trip is seven days, and the longest trip is like maybe 21 days.
2: Okay, so you are actually going to get to see in depth the organizations that you might choose to support.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you go visit. You don't just make the donation, you go visit.
2: Now, do most people go with the intention of making a donation, or do they usually go... Just for sustainable type of tourism?
0: Most people will make a donation. I don't know that's why they choose us. Right? I, I think that they choose us for the price. I think that they choose us for the experiences. We do things like have dinner uh-huh. at somebody's house. Love it. Brew, right? Because that's kind of cool. I'm, I'm always nosy, Kathy.
2: Me too. What
0: is in those houses? <laughs> How do they live? How's that all set up? Right? So we have dinner at somebody's house. So I think that they're choosing us for those reasons and then that actually visiting the projects and making a donation is secondary.
2: Right. And they're getting the encouragement because they're seeing you make the donation.
0: Right. Right. So we always like, you know, we always make a check out to these guys. But, you know, we're sending them the list ahead of time and saying, here's a little bit about the project. You can read about it on the website. These are the things that they need. And they're not like, it's not a big deal. We're talking like, you know, toothbrushes and coloring books and Sparkly glue and things like that. Yeah, Yeah, fun things to bring.
2: Okay, well, that sounds good. Now, you have put together a little freebie for our listeners, haven't you? The Traveler's Guide to Changing the World?
0: Yes, yes. So it's actually how to make a donation in a way that it will be received with gratitude as opposed to insulting someone by accident.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And that's common, isn't it?
0: It is common. like I think people just, they... There's so many cultural sensitivities that there's no way you could possibly know. You just wouldn't know. It just wouldn't occur to you. It would never be on your radar. But if you give somebody something and it sort of goes against their cultural sensitivity, the gift might not be well received.
2: And that's anywhere too. So maybe Mm -hmm. everybody should read it even if they're not traveling. (laughs) It's
0: true. It's really true. And that's why we ask people, what do you guys need as opposed to, here, let us just bring you some stuff.
2: Right. That makes such, such total sense. So you can get that freebie by going to rockyourretirement.com forward slash travel. And by going there, you can get the Traveler's Guide to Changing the World, which just sounds wonderful. Well, I'm so glad that you put this llama Expeditions together. It sounds like you're changing the world.
0: Oh, I don't think so. But, you know, (laughs) I just feel like if you change like one life, right?
2: Isn't that cool? That's right. And, you know, that's start one. You know, that's the way to do it. It's just like that story about the starfish, you know, the little kid with the starfish. You know that story, right?
0: Uh, It's been a while, but okay, I do remember so, that story. Yeah,
2: so I'll say it for any of our listeners who haven't heard it. It's an old story, but a good one. And that is there's this little kid, and he's running up and down the, the coast, and he's picking up starfish, and he's throwing them into the water. And a man comes up to him and says, you know you can't save them all. And the kid just looked at him, bends down, picks up another starfish, throws it into the ocean and says, just save that one.
0: Aww. <laughs> Cute. I do remember that now.
2: Yeah, and that's what you're doing. So how can my listeners reach you or find you?
0: Well, I think our website is probably a good place to start. It's just com.
2: Okay, great. So... If you want more information about um, the Lama Expeditions and how you can make a difference, go to her website, download the Traveler's Guide to Changing the World, and you can start changing the world too. And for our listeners, we'll see you next time on Rock Your Retirement. Thanks so much, Diane.
1: Thank you, Kathy. Thanks for listening to the Rock Your Retirement show. If you are rocking your retirement or know someone who would make a great guest on our show, please send us an email at podcast at rockyourretirement.com.
2: Oh, wait. right now. Now, if you're listening on your computer, you can listen on your smartphone by going to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Podcast Addict, iHeartRadio, Spotify. I mean, I believe on all of them. If you can't find us on the Podcast Catcher that you'd like to use, send us a note on the website at rockyourretirement.com and we'll make sure that we get on your favorite podcast app. But basically what you do is you download the app and then you search for the show. And when you find it, you'll hit subscribe, make sure it's the rock your retirement show and that you hear my voice. When you listen, um, actually, there were some episodes where Henry Shapiro was a guest. Uh, we, we actually downloaded some of his episodes. So if you hear him, it's probably still the, the same show. There were maybe 34 or 35 episodes back in the beginning that we hosted on our show uh, when he decided to leave podcasting. Number three, how you can support us is by leaving a review. Whatever podcast app you're listening to normally has the option of leaving a review, either a written review saying how great the show is, or just with stars. Five stars is typically the best. And of course, we're shooting for those five-star reviews. And if you tell us why you like the show, what you liked about it, it's actually easier for other people to understand what the show's about. A lot of people when they find our show, they think it's about money, and of course, by now you know that it's not. Number 4, if you'd like to support us financially, of course, we're always appreciative of that. Just go to rockyourretirement.com/support and it will take you to our page where you can support us financially. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time on Rock Your Retirement. Bye.